0: Hello, I'm Phil Little, and this is a private investigator experience. I'm your host, and I have with me my illustrious sidekick co-host, Wade Little. How are you, Wade? Well, I'm doing all right. I'm doing much better. I'm just getting over a cold, so hopefully I won't have
1: any coughing or runny nose issues. If I do, I apologize in advance, but
0: otherwise I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, I'm just kind of recovering from a cough and a long time flu that took some time, so we might be the coughing detectives today. So... You know, well, uh, adds a little mix. we got to be, you've got to be able to adapt to your situation when you're a detective. So sometimes having a cough would be okay in the right uh, crowd. Oh, yeah. but, uh,
1: adapt and overcome. That's, that's okay, the saying, right? right?
0: Yes. Well, we're going to wrap up a, a case with uh, our third post here. This uh, case is a insurance murder for hire where they got key man insurance on people and then they would suddenly uh, get killed. And this was some time ago when the connection between the insurance companies wasn't there, so they were able to get away with this a lot more. I've been asked, do you do a lot of these type of cases? I, I have to say, in all my career, the thousands of cases that we've done at West Coast Detectives International, I've never had another one quite like this that was so broad, had was so well-organized, and it had so many victims involved so it's it's unusual in that case but today we're now we've been months into this case on the investigation and we've had we've had events that we've talked about how we've worked the case how we build it things that we've that's been uncovered and now we're going to try to bring this around to a close by telling you and letting you in on some of the secrets and some of the things that's happened. So, Wade, why don't you give us your overview of what we've talked about, and then we'll move on to the next phase here.
1: All right. Let's see here. So when this case first started, you got a call about a body that was found out in Ventura County. And there was a large insurance policy on the body, and the insurance company was concerned about this because it was a recent policy. And so as you began to investigate this, you coordinated with the LASO, that's the Los Angeles Sheriff's Office. And together, you guys began investigating this. You went off, met with the family. You discovered a lot of details about this individual who died. The fact he was a family man. He, if I remember correctly, vineyards and other, basically estate there. But he had money issues. And it turned out he also had a girlfriend on the side, so that created problems right there, as what you can imagine. So as you began to develop this investigation, you discovered that there were eventually other bodies involved. That there was this restaurant in Southern California, I believe it was the San Fernando Valley, that was a the last known one of the last known locations where, and where he met this connection, who was going to uh, help finance his business deals who well, turned out that wasn't really the case so as you began to investigate that you in turn were being investigated uh, as they discovered possibly that you were a private investigator so there was the element there of danger to you to your family and what was exactly going on and so from there it's just you began uh, going across country You developed a task force with the LASO, the IRS, LAPD, and other jurisdictions around the country who all had similar victims and uh, all these issues and connections to people. And uh, as it was developing, you were discovering new information. And now we're at a point where we know uh, a lot of, of things that were going on. And we have a case in Mexico that was the next step.
0: Yes, along the the line of uh, timing here. <laughs> Excuse me, I shouldn't have talked about my cough because then suddenly it started happening. But we had had the first joint strike force meeting in Ventura County where we started our chart of tracking individuals, and one of the ways that we were able to connect people was through the money brokers that the suspects were using to set up these individual cases. Now, m- most of these money brokers we found weren't really involved in the actual murder scheme. They were being used to help get funding sources available and to let victims know, like, oh, you're working with some real people and they're really working for you. So, uh fact, all of these cases, and I mentioned the Mullendore case in Oklahoma, that went back to the early 70s. And I'll share the actual what happened on that case and the final conclusion. But why we became interested in that one was because of a money broker out of Los Angeles that had involved in our case, was also involved in that case. But as we went on, we found another case out of Texas connected that this was part of the same scam group that was going on. And the victim had been lured into Mexico for a supposed hunting trip or fishing trip, and he was killed while he was there. And for whatever reason, they buried the body in Mexico. And as we went on, we discovered we had a weapon. We were sure that this was a weapon that was being used in some of these murders, at least, because they were all uh, twenty-two caliber gun that was being used. And in in these days, it was before all the checkings on the airlines. So it would have been possible for someone to have flown all over the place with a weapon in their baggage or even in their carry-on in those days. And so one of the detectives said, you know what, why don't we exhume that body and get it back to the States? So we said, oh, okay, great. And they started on, it It was like a 60-day process. We actually got the body return uh, to Texas, and we had a big gathering. This was going to be the smoking gun. This was going to be, oh, we got him now. We opened the casket, and the head of the victim was missing. It had been cut off in Mexico. I tell you, there was letdown. It was unbelievable. Now, we thought, who would have thought of doing that in Mexico? But it showed, again, the sophistication of these individuals and who we were dealing with. And that's why I became more concerned about my own activities, because this restaurant that we talked about uh, in our first two episodes was down in South Los Angeles off of uh, Sepulveda Boulevard there. And it was a known hangout for mobster-type characters or wannabes. And this was a a place where all these guys were hanging out and meeting and talking, and that's how they discovered I was a, maybe too frequently there, interested in and in the people and asking maybe sometimes a little too b- open questions, but so that caused me to be more uh, alert to my own security and and what we were doing on the private side.
1: Okay, so at this point after you get disappointment, obviously, of, of the headless body and not having that that bullet to be able to get out. Your
0: are you stymied at this point, or what's your next step? What's going on at this point? Well, because we had several other active victims and cases going on, and when we were led up to the Mullender, this was a very famous case. It was the largest ranch in Oklahoma, and the father had died and left the ranch to his young son, who suddenly started spending lots of money. And in a few years, he had squandered millions of dollars and was broke, and he and his wife had split up. There was all different kind of stuff going on. He was out looking for money, too, and they had $15 million life insurance policy on his life, and he was killed. And so when we stumbled onto this, oh, uh, we said, this is part of our uh, group because a name of one of them brokers who had worked on the money was the same as the one in in one of those in Los Angeles. But as that went on, we got into that investigation, following up with the the police there. As it turned out, that case was never officially solved. And ultimately, though, there was a detective in uh, Oklahoma that had been on the police department and went into private work, kept on this, following up, and he had become friends with a ranch hand. That was suspected that he had killed him during a fight because of some personal things and the guy kept denying it. and the crime scene um, homicide detectives of today would would be shocked. they would be saying "What in the world this was so messed up it was and it was unprofessional in the police and the sheriff's departments that were there and so they they messed up all the evidence so they could never charge this guy. As it turned out, this guy was another deathbed guy. He uh, had cancer. He had been uh, convicted of another crime and spent some time. And before he passed away, to this detective in Oklahoma, he confessed that he'd been the one that had shot him in a fight and uh, had planned that cover-up. So that wasn't part of one of our cases. But we had about 10 or 12 still going on. And as we would under- roll over a rock, then another crook would come up. So we decided to have another meeting of the group of all the detectives we got together again and as we laid out this big long whiteboard across the wall over 30 feet long we had filled in so much of these time frames and now we had a case which you could see it on the wall you saw where the people had uh, been meeting the times they'd been together all these different suspects so the case began to take focus and it was from that that we realized that we had some international issues coming up in this with out of the country movements of money perhaps
1: right so as the investigations continuing, the holes are being filled you're seeing again it's obviously it's like a jigsaw puzzle more pieces are being filled in on the puzzle but there's still those empty spots that you yeah. have to try to figure out okay, what do these mean? Where, who are these pointing to, and how many people really are involved? So you have you have the task force and the various jurisdictions. Did you guys try to follow the money? Did you do anything in, in that sense of, uh, especially with the IRS involved?
0: Well, yes, and you what you mentioned. I remember one of the other situations that happened. That was it was kind of fun, interesting. It could have been a problem, I guess, for me. I took up. Uh, trip into Texas. I left Los Angeles and I was headed to Dallas to meet with the client. And then I was headed down to San Antonio to meet with the Texas Rangers on a case that were the joint cases. And when I got on the plane in Los Angeles, I I had noticed, I mean, you know, I'm married. I'm faithful to my wife, but hey, there's a beautiful blonde who was on the airplane. I mean, you couldn't miss her. None of the guys missed her. And so I didn't think much about it. She's on the plane. So I'm a good looking woman and got to Dallas and I spent a day there. Actually, I got in there one morning and met with the insurance company. And then that late afternoon headed out to San Antonio. And I noticed that there was the same blonde on the airplane going to San Antonio. I really didn't think anything about it much. You know, (laughs) Uh, I guess maybe my investigative uh, skills were a little uh, dried. <laughs> Not sure, but when I got off the plane in San Antonio, the rangers told me uh, they said, "You see that blonde got off the plane? She's been following you since you left Los Angeles." I said, "What?" I said, "Yeah, I saw her." But uh, he told me, "He said I think some people in Los Angeles are interested in what you know or where, what really is going on in all this." So. Again, that just heightened the concern that we were treading on some dangerous waters. And then the IRS took uh, the lead on the out of the country money, which we found that there were bank accounts some of these individuals had down in Panama. And then from Panama, we've determined that they were going, these accounts were being transferred to the Isle of Man. So it was a typical. Money laundering, trying to move the money to enough places that by it would disappear, and then they could get it back in the States. So the IRS took the lead on that and went to Panama. They got that trip uh, going down to, to the banks, and then they found the other banks and, and countries that the money was in.
1: Right. You know, I was curious. I was wondering if you were going to mention that trip to uh, Texas. So obviously I've heard that story many times. So, the IRS is doing their thing. You guys are doing your thing here in the States. You've got your investigation going on. you got law enforcement doing their investigation. You guys are obviously keeping each other prized, briefed as things develop. As this was going on, again, we're, we're over
0: six months into this, right? Oh, we're more than that now. We're getting up close to a year. Yeah, All we right, were so- 9, 10, 11 months when this stuff was going on with the body and then the money, out-of-the-country money. It was into that time frame. We'd had a lot of hours, a lot of time had been put in. And see, the, the issue was, we had enough information that we pretty much knew what was going on. But that's that's one thing. But you've got to have real fact to uh, prove it in court beyond a reasonable doubt. And I, I found that as a detective, that after a, a period of time, so much of what we do is experience. And you get distracted you call it a gut feeling, you get, I think it's, it's putting together, you look at a case, I'd look at cases that I say, no way could that be happening or to that person be involved. Then when I sit back and take a look and I remember the times that things happened and how they worked out, I begin to put that into my lens. And suddenly I said, oh, and sure enough, it would turn out to be that. And we had that in a lot of these cases. But we didn't have the smoking gun that we needed to convict anybody in court at this yet. This point, and part of it was that Dicky, this guy named Dicky, who was the mastermind of all this, the two or three guys at the top of this, they never interacted with the hit guys or anybody directly. Every one of these victims had carried their own payoff to the hitman. It had been like, you, and this is very common. If you've ever gone out and researched money as a business and tried to find amounts of money, which might be coming from sources where it's not the typical money source, there's many times you have a finder's fee or you pay an upfront fee. And that's what was used in these cases. So we didn't have any, we knew Jack Dickey was the mastermind of this, but we couldn't prove it. We had no factual information at that point. And so we continued on filling in the blanks and and just wait, waiting for a break, hoping that someone was going to talk or something was going to come to light. One of the detectives from Ventura had been talking to Dickie and kept a dialogue with him, a low-key dialogue. And he knew we were on to him, but he also knew at that point we couldn't prove it. So that was kind of where we were at as we approached that year and crossed over and went in to get in the cold case area. And some of these other cases were already cold cases in the places because they'd happened years before.
1: Right. So and the thing that just kind of blows my mind, and I'm sure our viewers' minds, our listeners' minds, is the fact that these people, these victims, were carrying, the in essence, the hit man's payment with them to give to this person who was supposedly part of the finder, not the finder's sheep but you she could fact money. And that's just amazing to me, that how that operated. It's just crazy.
0: Well, when you get in need of money and you get desperate, you want to believe. And these guys are so good at talking. They're so good at convincing you that they've got it all done. It's all ready. Now all this is going to take. And you would think, that if somebody said suddenly, okay, there's the person's coming into Los Angeles to meet with you, and he'll pick up the money, good faith money, and he'll set up for your big amount of money that's coming, you would suddenly say, hmm, that seems kind of like out of the blue, with normal. But when you're desperate, you don't think about those things.
1: Well, I'd be saying, okay, let's meet in a public place. If a lot of, ca- well, not, at that point, there weren't the cameras, security cameras like today. But right. so would say, okay, well, let's meet at this restaurant, you know, and this is the time. And I get there. You know, we're private investigators. We're, we're going to investigate a field. We're familiar with of enforcement and all that stuff. So with the backgrounds. And, and so we, we kind of our instinct is thinking about what could go wrong or, again, is this really going to happen? So what steps can we take to, pro- to protect ourselves? And that's the same thing, whether it's then or now, that people have to take into account is if something seems too good, it probably is. But if you're going to follow through with it, what steps are you going to take to to protect yourselves?
0: Right. Well, as we passed that year timeframe and all the group was talking and each one of the uh, detectives in their jurisdiction was following their case and trying to uh, piece together facts that would help with the overall, we wound down the task force it was about, oh, a year and two or three months into it. At that point, my client, Republic, had denied the insurance claim. They weren't paying that. And there wasn't any way that Dicky was going to file a suit against them or anything to collect the money because he knew everybody was on to him. So they were off the hook at that point. And that was what they were working for all along. So that ended our case for us because it was just our victim in Ventura County. And so we were getting to wind down and we said, guys, we're going to have to turn this over to each area. And what happened on this? Dicky got convicted of another crime and he wound up in jail and he also had cancer. And he was on his deathbed in jail and the detective had gone to meet with him. And he had kept that up over the, over these last, that two years or something. This was a year or so later. And he confessed to the detective on, it's a deathbed convent, a confession, wasn't able to go anywhere because he didn't live long after that, but that he and this group had masterminded that case. But for, as a private investigator, we solved our problem. We were successful because we stopped our client from paying out a couple million dollars. They had some expenses. But it wasn't anywhere near what they would have had to pay out. And even though there was kind of a letdown from a law enforcement standpoint, in my own mind, that we couldn't pull all these together and convict them of all of those cases, even though at the end we knew they did it. But that was where most of them probably still lie today as cold, unsolved cases with those people long gone now that and were responsible.
1: So, so Dickie didn't name anybody else in his deathbed confession. He just, basically admitted
0: to his part? Well, he, he pretty much, without verbally, he, we had a group. There was three or four guys around Dicky. I can't remember their names now. I don't have that file uh, available, but he was the mastermind and his admission was the fact that this group had been involved in it. And that on his deathbed wasn't enough to try to go after other people at that point. And it lied cold too long. So For us, it was a case solved and a happy client, and we had great experiences. I had experiences of that case that helped me all through my investigative uh, experience, and I've never had another one quite like that with so many different ingredients. But it it turned out to be, you know, we got a well-deserved, well-done from the client and a little bonus, and uh, they were happy, so we were happy in the end.
1: That great, I mean that could be a movie, yes you know, it's that's an amazing story so and again that that's just again like we said, one of the thousands of cases and again, not all are are yeah. as involved uh intricate uh, as a case like this, but nonetheless, no matter what the case is, when we are brought into it, we go full bore into it. I think we're plenty of at a time now where
0: we probably need to end this episode, right. The case closed. We're going to stamp it on the desk. We'll move on to some more. Let people know uh, how they can contact us, and we appreciate that.
1: So we have an email address, which is plittlepi777 at gmail.com. Can you send us any contact information. If you have any questions, whenever it may be, we're here for that. And hit the subscribe button, like button, and whether you're listening, join us in this endeavor as we continue on in our storytelling here.
0: Okay, Wade, thank you for being here today. Thank you, everyone out there. We appreciate you. And until next time, be safe. May God bless you, your family, and may God bless America.